Welcome to Just a Walk in the Sun, a monthly podcast from the Herefordshire Light Infantry Museum. I'm the Reverend Paul Roberts and I'm joined by our curator, Colonel Andy Taylor. Hello to you all. On this episode, we're actually sat in the Regimental Museum. Since the podcast is about the museum, we thought we should give you an issue from the museum. So here we are, Paul. It's about time too, as well, isn't it? Of course, we had planned to be coming to you a, a lot earlier than this. And indeed, we had quite a few plans around the Museum for Heritage Open Day, didn't we, Andy? We, we certainly did. And we were looking at opening as part of Heritage Open Day. But things got a bit delayed during the summer with summer holidays, a few technical issues. And we were all ready to go when, unfortunately, Her Majesty the Queen died and as a result of the mourning period, we didn't open as part of the Heritage Open Day. I think it's always a difficult decision to make, isn't it, really? Because obviously we were we were ready to go, weren't we? But as a, um, a, as a, a military organisation or a sort of quasi-military organisation, it seemed to be the right thing to do to pull out of Heritage you, Open Day. You're absolutely right there. As the Queen, of, as the Commander-in-Chief of all of the military forces and the museum being in the Army Reserve Centre... I'm convinced that it was the right mm. thing to do. And I'm sure that if we had have opened, there would have been probably fewer people attending because of it. And it would have sent the wrong message as well. Mm. That's right. It was, the, it, was, it was due to be the, the second Saturday, wasn't it, in the morning period? Yes, it would have been. So um, it would have been the Saturday before the Sunday when mm. most of the church commemoration mm. services took place, where there was the vigil on that Sunday evening before the funeral on the Monday. So I think the mood of the nation would have not really supported the opening of the museum. And I'm I'm sure as well that personally I I felt that I would have been in the wrong place if I'd been Mm. at a museum open Mm. day Mm. during that period. So our plans to interview and uh, have chats with people who came into the museum are will be delayed, but certainly not put off. They, they will be delayed. We will rearrange the open day and we'll wait for the better weather to come. So probably in the spring, perhaps in April, May time next year, we will have the open day, we will publicise it and then hopefully we can do a perhaps even a live podcast. Mm. Oh, is, or is that technically too challenging? Oh, I don't know. We've we've been beset by technical issues this this morning. So um, uh, so so maybe we'll maybe we'll gather our thoughts and strength before we um, we think about anything that's live. I think so. We, we, we've mislaid a lead. So we, we, we're surrounded by four or five different configurations of the equipment and we've managed to get one to work, but we can only get one microphone to work. So, uh, so Paul and myself are, are, are cuddled together to share the microphone at the moment. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, so apologies if the, the sound quality isn't as... It usually is. But still, we are here in the in the museum room in the Army Reserve Centre, Suvla Barracks on Harold Street in Hereford. And perhaps for those people, Andy, who've never been here, you might like to describe where we are and what we're looking at. Well, within the barracks, Suvla Barracks has been a military barracks for oh, over 100 years, 1860, I think it started. And it was the militia barracks. 
and the building next door, which is now a National Health Records repository, was the Militia Battalion headquarters. And there are still things around the barracks from those times, including the old boundary walls, and there are hooks in, in the walls where the, the horses used to be tied up in the stables. So mm. it's a very, very old site here. Mm. And the current building we're in dates from uh, the, the 1956, is it? Uh, yeah, the, the, the late 1950s, mm. when uh, after the Second World War, the Territorial Army was reformed and there, the Cold War was developing and there was great reliance on the Territorial Army and there were new drill halls being built in lots of places. Mm. Hereford, uh, obviously here, Ross and Wye had a new drill hall as well in the county and a bit later on, Lempster did as mm. well. So mm. uh, there was a great emphasis on the Territorial Army at that time. Mm. And still in use today as a Army Reserve Centre and as the county headquarters for the Hereford and Worcester Army Cadet Force. And within within the complex, there is the large hall that you would, that you would expect and stores and offices, a mess room and bar upstairs. But as well as that, we have our... Our own room we as do well, we, we have our museum which is really what we're here to talk about today mm. and we have one room dedicated to the museum within the within the whole complex and i suppose it's ooh, what would you say paul about 24 feet or i suppose i better talk metric hadn't i so what would that be that would be uh eight meters yes yes about eight Some, meters something square. like that yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, yes. I mean, maths is not our strong point, as no, you probably noticed. No. <laughs> so anyway, we, we, we'll go with the eight metres square. And in it, we've got various display cases with things in them. We have the old officer's mess dining table, which is the central part and fills up the middle of the room, which is very useful for us to, uh, to do work on, uh, to put displays out on. And we also use this room as a meeting and conference room. Mm. So uh, it, it's it's a multi-use room. That's right. So windows on the on the one side, and then uh, then around the the walls we have those display cases, taking um, taking visitors through the history of. You've already mentioned the militia. Uh, we we sort of start with there in a nineteenth century display, and then we move round through the Boer War and the First World War. And the Second World War, and then and in, into that post-war period from which the building dates. That that's right. And there are interest uh, cabinets as well. We we have a run of reserve medals going back from the Rifle Volunteers in Queen Victoria's reign and showing her head on the medals, and then Edward the Seventh coming through to George the Fifth, George the Sixth, and our late Queen as well. Mm, and uh, mm. perhaps. One day we may get a reserve medal with uh, King Charles's head on it. It's likely that um, that our new king will be facing the opposite way to to Queen Elizabeth. I, I'm glad you said the opposite way because I can't remember if it's to the right or the left. <laughs> The history of the museum here is an interesting one in itself. It was really started in 1960 by the then commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Tom Hill, who had joined the KSLI, the King's Shropshire Light Infantry, as a territorial soldier before the Second World War. He'd served, he'd been commissioned, he then served in India and uh, Burma, he then served in Kenya. During the Mau Mau crisis, he also served in Korea, of course. 
So a, a very experienced soldier, and he was posted as the commanding officer of the Herefordshire Light Infantry in 1960. And at that time, there were historical pieces in all of the drill halls, in the officers' mess, in the sergeants' mess, and spread throughout the buildings. And it was his aim to collect all of these together, to record them as an archive, and from that the museum was born. Mm. And a really good job he did that. He did that too because when you have items scattered across multiple locations, particularly then as the the, the territorial army changed, it became the um, territorial army and volunteer reserve in 1967 and was downscaled. A number of these buildings closed, and of course, when you close a building, items can go astray. That's absolutely true, and uh, it was great foresight on his part that the things were documented; they were mm. all recorded. So that when the buildings did close down, and they did in 1966 in the reorganisation, the Herefordshire Light Infantry disappeared and the only two remaining drill halls were in Ross and Wye and Hereford. Although there was an outstation in Ledbury which survived on and off for a bit longer. But then all of those um, items came in to this museum here and really started growing from mm, then. Mm. And we've had a number of curators since that time. You're the, the latest curator. You've been doing it a little while, haven't you, Andy? Uh, well, I have now. I think I've been doing it for about seven or eight years now since I retired. And I think people thought I had nothing to do in my retirement. So <laughs> they let me become curator, which I thoroughly enjoy. But Colonel Tom uh, lasted as curator from... Well, 1960 to 2005. Mm, so amazing, amazing I, I don't service. think I'm going to squeeze in quite that <laughs> amount of service. And then in between the two of us, there was James Herryford, mm, who was also mm, curator mm. for uh, six or seven years. That's right. And James stays uh, stays on as um, chairman of our friends. We It's important to talk about the friends, isn't it, really? Yeah, the friends give us great support. There's about 100, I think, at the mm. moment who all sign up and they, they support us in many ways. They act as advocates for the museum, publicising the museum and the work that the museum does. But perhaps more importantly, they pay an uh, annual subscription which allows the museum to survive. Because mm. simply because we are within the, the wire, behind the wire of the barracks, we don't have a great deal of visitors and we don't charge for admission. We have donations and we charge for some research. But that really is our own, are our only sources of income. And so the friends provide us with income mm. and enable us to pay probably our biggest outgoing, which is insurance for the museum displays and property, which is about £1,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, so we have to raise £1,000 a year just to survive. Mm. And we, we generally come in with a little to spare, but not a great deal. And if you're interested in becoming a friend of the Herefordshire Light Infantry Museum, um, all the information is in the description of this podcast, as well as a link to our muse museum website. Of course, one of the uh, one of the important things that the the friends have helped us um, to do recently is to um, secure a uh, those new display cases and uh, and have helped us to, to stock them as well. Yes, they certainly have. And if you look around the museum, you can see a progression of display cases. And there are three ages of... or In mm. fact, four ages of display cases. There are the original old brown wooden ones. 
which were here, which were acquired by Colonel Tom back in the 1960s. I'm not certain where they came from, but they are fairly old and limited as to how modern museums mm. display their, their, their items. Then we have the two wooden ones, which were purpose-built about 10 years ago for the museum by a local cabinet maker, Hawkins, who did a tremendous job on them. And they're very useful. We then have the, the grey ones, which were purchased three or four years ago. And these are museum quality. They're made to meet all of the museum standards, especially security and um, LED lighting, so there's no UV damage mm. to them. And if we were ever to borrow items from another museum, we could safely put them in these yeah. because they would meet all of the requirements. Mm. Uh, but they were very expensive, but they they look the business. They, they do. They, they really, really are good. good. And uh, they, they weigh a ton. <laughs> it, they were here, uh, the installers were here for about four days putting them in, drilling into the floor, the wall, and doing all sorts of things. I think we slightly annoyed some of the other occupants of the building <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the drills that were, um, and the noise which was echoing around. But they're in now, and, and they, they are dressed and looking good. Mm. And then the, the latest additions are the ones that came from the Royal Logistic Corps Museum yeah. um, when they moved out of Deep Cut. Yeah, we were very lucky to get these. Um, the Royal Logistic Corps Museum in Deep Cut, they were moving their museum to Worthy Down. And as a result of that, they received funding to replace all of their display cases. So they were getting rid of their old display cases. Too good an opportunity to miss and we bid for and were allocated three of the cases. Uh, I think they were a bit bigger and a bit more complicated than we thought. <laughs> they, they came to us in pieces, and we dismantled the old display cases, taken down the displays. The new, these cases arrived two weeks before lockdown. Mm. So we, we, we had no access to the barracks, and it was 14 or 16 months before we could actually get in and reassemble mm, the mm. cases, which took us quite a while, and then to reassemble the displays. As a result of that, the opening of the museum was delayed and all of these things. And we, as, as we started saying right at the beginning, we were hoping to have a grand relaunch at Heritage Open Day, but that didn't happen either. But we are open for visitors mm, now. Absolutely. And contact me on the website, and the email address is there. And uh, we can arrange uh, a visit. Re please remember, though, that we have to comply with MOD security regulations and we cannot have walk-in visitors. Every visitor must be by appointment and uh, they have to be escorted. So the good news is <laughs> every visitor gets a personal tour. No, at no extra cost. So it's a, it is, it's a wonderful place to, to come and visit and to explore the, the history of our territorial regiment here in Herefordshire, covering over, well, over 200 years of history, isn't there? Yes, it will be, going back to the 36th of mm -hmm. foot, and we have a few things from the 36th of foot. And I think if we were thinking of of one thing that it's it's worth coming to, to visit the museum for, I don't know about you, Andy, but I think one of the absolutely amazing things that the, the regiment have got, that they... That they they, they acquired, they liberated during the Second World War, was Admiral Donitz's pennant, wasn't it? His, the car His pennant. car pennants, yeah. The uh, Grand Admiral Donitz's car pennants are certainly a unique feature and tell the story 
of the the regiment and the Second World War in many ways. Mm, mm. So um, Grand Admiral Dönitz was the was the last commander of the Third Reich um, after Hitler's suicide. He he headed up the uh, uh, the government. Well, it, it was actually after the after mm, VE Day. Mm, mm. Grand Admiral Dönitz had been in command of the German Navy, and it was him that had designed and pursued the submarine warfare mm. uh, tactics. And he was tried after the war as a war criminal. And I think he was, well, he was certainly spared the death penalty. And he was imprisoned, I think, for about 15 years. Mm. When he was released, he went and gave lecture tours and was quite a a well-known individual. I think probably one of the senior members of the Nazi regime, which had survived... And certainly in terms of the Herefordshire Regiment's role in his arrest, it was very significant, wasn't it? It certainly was. Hitler had nominated Grand Admiral Donitz as his successor. And after his suicide, Donitz and several other senior members of the of the Nazi party set up a puppet government in Flensburg in a naval barracks. To start with, the Allies allowed this government to continue because they thought it would be a good way of controlling the German population and transiting them from war to peace. Mm. Unfortunately, it didn't work like that, and it was evident after a few days that they were still hardline Nazis and it wasn't going to work. And Operation Blackout was conceived, which would be the arrest of that government, and the Herefordshire Regiment took part in that operation together with two other regiments, and the whole plan was designed and carried out by Brigadier Jack Churcher, who had been the commanding officer of Mm, the Herefordshire mm. Regiment. So very much a Herefordshire Regiment controlled, involved operation. But they moved in uh, at dawn. A cavalry regiment put in a cordon around the barracks and uh, Castle Glukenberg, I think it's called. And then the Cheshires and the Herefords went in to arrest them Mm. all. Donitz and several of the other high-ups had been called away to a ship which was in the harbour, which was the headquarters of the the Peace Commission, for want of a better expression. And they then went from there back to their barracks to get their suitcases, Mm. and they were then flown to the Allied headquarters in Belgium, Mm. where they were held awaiting their um, uh, trials. And one enterprising Herefordshire Regimental soldier picked up Grand Admiral Donitz's car penance and they are now in the museum with a nice sign on them which say that he removed them for safe custody and we keep them safe still. Indeed, indeed, we still, we still look after them. And I think his, um, his baton ended, um, ended up at Shrewsbury. Yes, it did. And, and it's quite interesting because people often say that the King Shropshire Light Infantry were involved in the operation. They weren't, but of course, General or Brigadier... Churcher was King Shropshire Light mm. Infantry, and as the brigadier, the top man of the operation, I suppose he felt that he, he could justifiably hold on to the Grand Admiral's baton, mm. which, since uh, Brigadier Churchill, Churcher was not going to get a Field Marshal's baton in the no. British Army, this was probably as close <laughs> as he ever got, but that's got. why that baton is in, yeah. is in Shrewsbury. Yeah. Yeah, and we have on occasion organised the reunion of the two, haven't we? Yes, we have, um, and uh, we had a, a great event where the baton and the penance were together in the town hall for a reception, 
And we think that that was probably the first time they've been together for 25 or 30 years. And it always is our ambition to do this again. But there are always challenges. One of the biggest challenges is security and insurance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something that doesn't get easier from year to year, does it? It so, gets um... more and more challenging <laughs> and expensive. Yeah. to get out to a pub today Andy which is which is a bit of a shocker it is isn't a shame. it having sort of selling ourselves on a walk in the sun today there was no sun there was rain so we decided to give you a home fixture from the regimental museum today that said it's very much traditional to end the uh, the podcast with a beer and I brought an interesting beer I I, I see you've been enjoying it Andy um, interesting beer Very with me good. today um, it's um, a Popperings Hommel beer comes from Belgium comes from Popperinger itself which um, if you know the the western front and if you've been around um, the the battlefields uh, Popperinger should be a, a familiar uh, familiar name to you it was the it was the, the, the sort of base of operations, isn't, isn't yes, it? Yes, it was. For the it was a, and, and I think the rear headquarters and the and sort of logistic area and um, the hospitals were there mm. as well. Mm. But I think it is Tok H is there, isn't it? It is. That's right. Tok H Talbot House um, set up by the famous redoubtable Padre Tubby Clayton, um, an all ranks club. Uh, where all were welcome. In fact, rank had to be abandoned. Um, yes. Um, abandon rank, all ye who enter here, a, a place of rest and recuperation. Rather, rather like we're we're taking. I think. I think I now think after our efforts. That's very appropriate. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I've, I've stayed in Tok H as well, and it's a delightful place mm. in one of the the back streets in Poppering, and very comfortable. And there's a museum there as well, which is excellent. Mm. And it, it's a good base for visiting the northern First World War battlefields. Uh, certainly Ypres is not far away and Passchendaele and th those areas there. Which I taste the beer and I remember my time in Belgium. And I'm sure many of the First World War soldiers also enjoyed some Belgian beer when they were there. I'm sure. I'm sure they did, Andy. I'm sure they did. It certainly, certainly, Popperinger gave them a little bit of a break um, from um, from from the rigors and from the dangers of the Ypres salient. And so, um, so we think of them as we finish our Hommel beer this afternoon. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you.